chapter two, we find the earthly story of the birth of Jesus Christ. We've looked at Philippians two, at the theology of Christmas through five through 11. We looked at the, the heavenly perspective. And here in Luke two, we see this earthly perspective of these characters that God had chosen to be involved in this. Uh, Caesar Augustus and the shepherds and Mary and Joseph and We see all this happening. Let's read here. And it came to pass, verse 1, Luke chapter 2, that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Cornelius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child, so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they kept them with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. And it was told them. That that technically is where we're going to end this exposition. Somewhat of an exposition, but I want to read uh, the next verse just for some personal applications for us Kenyans. When eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. So he was circumcised after eight days. Might I recommend that you stop circumcising your children at 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, your sons? It is a pagan practice and it is cruel. I don't care what your grandma wants to do. Stop it. Just ask the the son. Hey, you want us to cut your foreskin off? No. 
If you're going to circumcise, get it done while they are babies so they have no memory of it. And please don't adopt any type of pagan practices of putting them out in the woods alone or whatever is going on with the different type of tribal things. It is from pagan origins and it is high time, as we say in Kenya, that Kenyans stand up to their families and say a two-letter word, no. One of the best things you can do as a Christian man and woman is get good at saying the word no. We have a demonic microphone here. Okay. Came to pass that Caesar Augustus set out a decree. This guy, Caesar, is a character. Caesar Augustus, his uh, name was originally Octavian, which is kind of a cooler name than Augustus, if you, you know, Octavian. I like that name. He was the nephew of Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar um, was the first uh, Caesar, but there is a difference between the reign of Julius Caesar and the type of reign that Caesar Augustus had. Um, give me about five, 10 minutes for a history lesson for those of us who like history. Okay. Um, if you don't like history, just take a nap for 10 minutes and we'll wake you up with some preaching afterwards. He was the nephew of this guy and he kind of adopted him as the, the, the man who would take over, who would become the Caesar of Rome. But there was a battle uh, between uh, a couple other guys who were attempting to become Caesar as well. But Octavian was this guy who was actually, uh, uh, records show from ancient writings and antiquity that he was a brilliant guy, very very brilliant, especially in military matters. And he had a battle where he had about 40,000 um, uh, infantry and thousands more, or excuse me, 40,000 cavalry, cavalry and thousands more infantry. And uh, though he was going into a battle with another gentleman who was trying to become Caesar, who had almost doubled the amount that he did, and yet he won the battle because he was apparently that brilliant. And in his apparent brilliance, he thought a little too highly of himself, and when he won that battle and became Caesar, he um, gave himself the name Augustus. Augustus meaning the highly exalted one. Can you imagine naming yourself the highly exalted one? Well, he did. I guess I can't imagine it because I've seen people throughout the world give themselves odd names. There was one particular false uh, prophet in this town who named himself Prophet Billion. I don't know if... Maybe some of you remember this gentleman who was in a, a church over here. He came to our church one day and he introduced himself to me as Prophet Billion. I said to him, I have to know, did your mom name you Billion or did you give yourself that name? And he told me, I gave myself that name. And I said, 
followed up with another question. I said, I have to know. Did you name yourself that because you want to be a billionaire in shillings? And he goes, no, I named myself that because I want to be a billionaire in dollars. You, 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 you know, you just sit there and look at a, at a man like this and you can do nothing but just share the gospel with him. The humility. I mean, this Christmas season, we, one of the things that strikes me more than anything is the humility and love of Jesus Christ. Not the, though he is highly exalted, he's willing to let it all go and to come to earth. It, what a contrast between prophet Billion and Caesar Augustus. Well, Caesar Augustus felt so highly about himself that he changed the political scene in Rome itself. Rome, interestingly enough, was founded upon a republican system. Now, it's not to be compared to the greatness of the American republican system that the American founders uh, um, founded it on, because there is a different morality or you know, a different ethic, you would say, um, in the Republican system of America and its foundation as the Roman Republican system in that American founders founded on a Republican system of Judeo-Christian ethics, whereas in Rome founded on a Republican system of pagan ethics. However, even a Republican system of pagan ethics, the idea of a republic over and above a historical democracy, uh, which democracy inherently is evil, by the way. Uh, just so you know, democracy kind of allows the mob or those who are yelling the loudest to dictate different laws um, in a historical democracy. When people say nowadays we need a democracy, they don't really understand the historical context of democracy, but it really is a great evil. About the best governing system that humanity has come up with in our fallen nature, because even a republican system is not perfect, because the people who are running it are very imperfect, it is the best we've come up with in that a republican system is a distribution of power. And, and, and by the way, I'm not just trying to promote what you think is democratic and republic. That's not what I'm doing. I'm talking about a historical republic, especially as it was founded in Rome. Rome was founded on a republic in that it had a Caesar who was Julius Caesar, but the first Caesar was under a republican system that was ran by a senate. And his power was limited. And because even in a pagan ethic republican system, power was distributed, the um, possibility of co corruption was not uh, nil, but was greatly decreased in a republican, even pagan system, because the distribution of power did not rest solely on one man. It was upon many men who were under republic in a senate with senators. If you saw the, the movie Gladiator, you, uh, you kind of provides a historical context of this um, where um, Marcus Aurelius, he actually did try to move 
uh, Rome back to a republic where it was governed by the Senate. And then you had his wicked uh, son um, who was trying to do actually what Caesar Augustus did for the first time in Rome. Caesar Augustus, you guys didn't know this was a history lesson, just bear with me. Caesar Augustus, uh, he switched it. He said, I'm not going to be under a senate because I am a god. I am Augustus. I'm the highly exalted one. I will be over as the emperor of Rome. The Republic and the Senate will answer to me and the Senate will become my minions who get my vision and will for the, for the empire. And so that's what happened. He deified himself and then many Roman emperors from this point forward were looked at as deity chosen by the gods to rule over the Roman Empire as a god. And so Caesar Augustus felt very highly of himself and thus he had the power now as the sole power of the Roman Empire to give such a decree for everyone under this Roman Empire to be registered. As one person said, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So now there's a corrupt immensely corrupt system you know and really it's smoke and mirrors in Kenya it's smoke and mirrors you know we 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 think we're under some sort of modern day democracy in Kenya but when in fact it is the president who acts as a czar and uh, uh, emperor of Kenya who through corruption has his will dictated and the members of parliament many of them not all of them are cowards and will not stand up to the president of, of Kenya. And I'm not just talking about this president, I'm talking about all the presidents. Um, it, it is a great mistake to give one person sole power over a nation as long as that one person is not Jesus Christ. And then we find what's going on in Kenya right now. It's terrible taxes. You guys, you've felt your, in your pocketbooks, haven't you? All that's going on because the current government wants more power than they should be allowed to have. Caesar Augustus, the highly exalted one, proclaimed by himself, gives a decree that everyone in the Roman Empire should be registered. So, Joseph also went up from Galilee, in verse four, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it's his betrothed wife. It's not his wife that he has consummated through the, the intimate act uh, um, in marriage. The Jews had a different arrangement. They would betroth themselves to one another. And for the period of time, generally, uh, was the culture uh, custom of one year. Well, the, the husband who now has a betrothed wife would go and build a house for his wife. Well, in the process of this betrothal, Mary had uh, gotten pregnant by the Holy Spirit. As the angel Gabriel had told her, she had visited Elizabeth. Um, you know, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, our Lord, gave each other a high five, so to speak, in the womb. 
And then she returns back to Galilee, Nazareth of Galilee, and everyone knows she's pregnant now. And she is no doubt maligned, persecuted, and now she's up for trial whether or not she should be killed through the death penalty for adultery because it is still the crime of adultery if you're betrothed, though the marriage had not been consummated. So Joseph, being a righteous man, did not do this to her, yet is obviously still dealing with a lot mentally, probably resentment and bitterness uh, for Mary, having it a hard time to believe uh, the claim that she had been impregnated by an angel. Right, guys? You betrothed, your fiance comes home. Well, she comes to you. You're not living together yet. And she, she's pregnant. Guy, she's like, listen, this, nothing happened. I promise. It was an angel or is the Holy Spirit, you know, son of God in here. Guys, difficult mentally. But Joseph, it is so difficult for him that God sends him aid and an angel appears before him and cooperates and tells the truth about the story that Mary had given. And I believe that's the very reason why both of them now are traveling to Bethlehem of Judea because he could have gone and claimed her as her, his own and registered her she didn't have to go. She was great with child. But because of the great pressure that they were facing in Nazareth, they go together to do an 80-mile journey, which back then was very difficult. It's not just that they had to walk 80 miles, which is difficult enough, and ladies, to be great with child and go on an 80-mile walk would be incredibly hard. But there was a great um, upheaval of different sects of people rising up against the religious leader of the Jews and rising up against the Roman Empire for such a crazy request from the highly so-called exalted one of Caesar Augustus, and boom, the, the streets were violent. Danger. You could easily be kidnapped and put in the sex trade, which was highly active at this time. But they go out in faith in the 80-mile journey. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. He's born, just like the prophecy said. Genesis 3.15, the first prophecy concerning Jesus Christ would be given in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sinned against God. They disobeyed him. As I mentioned last night, death and darkness comes into the world, though it wasn't supposed to be. God did not give Adam and Eve the beautiful sun and then the moon to reflect the sun and give a beautiful night. You know, he didn't do any of that. 
or excuse me, he didn't do that and give them death and fear. He didn't say, hey, I want to give you a garden of Eden. I want to give you uh, uh, each other, which were they were naked and unashamed. You're welcome, Adam. I mean, all of these things. And then he says, here's a little fear with that. Here's a little depression. Here's a little death. That is not God's work. That is man and Satan's work. God ought to never be blamed for the sin that is in the world. And he pronounces judgment on Adam, says you're going to work the sweat of your brow from the dust of the ground and dust you are and dust you shall return. Goes to the woman and says you will have pain in, 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 in childbearing. You're going to suffer as a woman. <laughs> and then he goes to Satan. He says, I will put division between her seed and your seed and he shall crush your head and you will bruise his heel. It is the first prophecy of Jesus Christ pronouncing judgment upon Satan that this Messiah, which is the seed of a woman, which means it's a virgin birth because women don't bear seed, is going to crush the head of the serpent. And then Isaiah gives us a more detailed prophecy that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. I mention all of that to say it happened as is mentioned in Luke chapter two. And what we need to take from this is that when the Lord makes a promise, we can trust that he will keep it. If you're a note taker, if the Lord makes a promise, you can trust he, will can, keep, he can keep it. Listen, guys, there are numerous promises concerning the Messiah, and there are numerous promises for us concerning many other things. Remember that study, for those of you who go back, that long we did verse by verse through the Gospel of John, and we came to the longest discourse that Jesus Christ had in John 13, 14, 15, and 16, and ends that discourse with his disciples, the longest one in all of the Gospels, with the Lord's Prayer in John 17. And all through that, one night, all those chapters, he gives his disciples all of these promises. He says, I am going, but I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. Um, if it were not so, I would not tell you that I go prepare a place for you. That's a promise. That's a promise, guys that we would go. I personally do not hold to what, I, I don't know if it's traditional, to the common held belief, I guess that is preached, uh, that he's actually talking about houses in the way that we would understand them to be when he mentions mansions. But I believe he is talking about our spiritual bodies, which become this glorious mansion, so to speak, temple. We, we, we think of a mansion as big. Um, that's not the, the, the Greek word for mansion. It's not really what we understand mansions to be. The idea more so is efficient and effective. Um, would be a better rendering of understanding what Jesus Christ is talking about in that promise of, the, of the, the upper room discourse. 
I think he's talking about our new bodies that are much more efficient than these ones. I think that's what he's talking about. We, get, we know we get new ones. And you know what? As we get older, we need to hold on to that promise. <laughs> I, I don't know, during worship, you know, I believe in a little dancing when we worship. And I know you Africans do too. I was doing this. You guys, and I, by the way, if you didn't know this, I have these street kids, they make fun of me wherever I go. When they see me, they do this. And I'm doing that today, and my knee started to ache. And, and it almost gave out. I was like... And, I, and I'm thinking, oh my, am I at that age where barely moving hurts my body? Well, I'm getting there. You know, Bob, you're there. <laughs> and many of you guys, when we get older, these bodies are wearing out. They're not effective anymore. We get a new one. God promised us that. I believe it's a glorious mansion. I'm not saying there's not buildings in heaven. I just don't know that we necessarily need our own personal homes. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. We're going to be the family of God in perfect unity in heaven. I don't know that we all need separate homes while we're there. God's not really into that kind of isolationism that we kind of need on earth because of a lack of, of godliness, I would say. The point is this, guys, promises have been given to us. And we read in Luke 2 that this promise that was given to humanity was fulfilled. God's past faithfulness demands our present trust. And we need to know the promises of God in the days that we live in. Guys, we live in some turbulent times where the prince and power of the air, the rules and the sons of disobedience, the spirit of Antichrist is, he, he's at the, the ready. He, he, his armies are in place. His armies are in place. The tools are there. CNN, BBC, uh, 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 world governments, they're there. Those are his tools. And, and I'm, and I'm going to keep watching, uh, I'm going to keep mentioning that until every single member of Calvary Eldoret understands the demonic nature of BBC and CNN. I'm trying to get you to stop watching it, if you didn't notice. Anyways, the, they're in place, and it's on your mark, get set, go. It's released. And you know one of the greatest signs of this release of end times is the hatred of the Jews. And I understand all debates. I get it. If you're, a, if, you're a, if you're a Bible student and a historical student considering biblical context and world events, I understand anti-Semitism has come in waves throughout hundreds of years, thousands. I get it. But now we are under a global culture where the entire world has access to the same information and that information is being dictated by the, 
prince and power of the air, the, the Satan himself. And all of a sudden, the world hates the Jews again. But we have promises. We have promises, guys, that we need to hold on to that when things like this tyrannical governments try to shut down the world, the cult, uh, the, the church, the businesses, so that we can suffer economically. We know where it comes from. It comes from Satan, but we have promises that God is with us. That he, if God is for us, who can be against us? We need to hold on to that promise. And we need to look at the birth of Jesus Christ and say, yes, his word is true. And what he says comes to pass. I believe the Bible is clear on a pre-tribulation rapture that there is a mass evacuation before a literal seven-year tribulation period described in the book of Revelation. I hold on to that promise, guys. Every day. God's path faithfulness demands our present trust. Jesus Christ is born just like the Old Testament said he would be. And then you go on in verse 8. Now there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Amen. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Guys, wouldn't it be amazing to get a same-day prophecy? It's like, hey, I'm going to give you a prophecy that's going on today. Today, there is born in Bethlehem a Savior. The Savior that the Old Testament talked about, these Shepherds, don't think them ignorant or stupid. They know the stories. They know the Old Testament. And it was, it was very cultural for them to know. Even if you're not a Bible student, there are certain things that cultures adopt within their personal religions. They've heard about the Messiah that would come and redeem Israel. But today he's here. And this is the sign. He's in Bethlehem, he's a baby, he's wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Guys, there's going to be no babies in Bethlehem lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. None. Easy to find. Small town, walk around, look at all the feeding troughs, which are the mangers. Don't look at this beautiful thing. Jesus Christ was not born in a well-built wood thing lined with hay and beautiful Christmas lights. It, it was, if you imagine a wall, you, you get about maybe two to three feet of stone mixed with mortar so that it's, it's strong. 
It's probably anywhere from three to six foot wide. And then on that, another two to three wall foot wall of stone so that you could bring your animals in, a very small thing, and they could be there at night. They could uh, eat, they could drink, and, and so on and so forth. And so one of these feeding troughs is open without any animal, or maybe there was animals in it, and they cleared them out, and the guy let Mary and Joseph go there for her baby to be delivered. That's what he was, and, and, and the shepherds are like, hey, that's what we're looking for, same day prophecy, and they go and find him. There is some application here in understanding what's really going on. A bad translation uses the word heavenly host. It is not a good translation. The word host should not be translated the American word host. It should be translated soldiers. William Tyndale knew this, and in his translation, which is what, the Geneva Bible? I forget. But in the 1500s, he translated this word host as a proper scholar, soldiers. There were heavenly, there was a multitude of heavenly soldiers. God sent a regiment of soldiers to take rank and stand before, or stand in the, having their feet in midair before the uh, uh, shepherds to pronounce this, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And these shepherds are afraid. Who knows how many? I don't know. A hundred, a million. Who knows how many angels? But they are soldier angels. And they're not singing. They are speaking. It's not a bunch of angels who have perfect skin, who, you know, are singing a song, glory, like the, the, like the Catholic tradition of what's going on here. It's not at all the, what really happened. It's not a bunch of beautiful man, man angels with beautiful Vaseline skin singing glory to God. That's not what's going on. These are warrior soldier angels taking up ranks, glory to God, speaking the words. How majestic would have that been? Incredible. That's, what, that's what's going on. Soldier angels. I can confidently say, biblically, God has called every Christian in this room, man and women and children, to be soldiers. It's evident in Scripture. Jesus Christ himself is, by nature, a warrior. In Exodus 15.3, the Bible says, The Lord is a man of war, and the Lord is his name. Remember what I said last night, for those of you who were here. Kindness without courage is fruitless and worthless. And we have too many, and I want you to interpret this correctly because it doesn't mean you have to grow a beard and have big muscles to be a soldier. We're talking about a spiritual strength and a biblical resolve in the face of hostility and lies. 
But there are so many Christians who interpret Jesus Christ as this man also with perfect skin and a beautiful face, going around glowing and just shaking hands and kissing babies and speaking in a soft voice. That is not the Jesus Christ of the Bible. And that is not the Jesus Christ who is really the Lord. He is a man of war. He's ferocious. He's courageous. He is the man who both can weep, as my pastor would say, he's the man who both can weep because of the condition of the nation of Israel that he wanted to bring to his bosom. And in the same day, the man who can braid a whip and beat the religious leaders out of the temple. Glory to God. Isn't that great? He's a weeper and he's a whipper. He braided a whip. Can you imagine Kenyan ladies, Jesus braiding your hair for you? He knows how to do it. And he braids a whip and he goes in and he whips a bunch of old men right on you know, the, the butt is for whipping. That's why there's padding there. And I almost said a bad joke. Let me, I'm not going to do it. And he whips those old guys right out of the temple. <laughs> he whips them right out. He's a courageous man of war. We need men and women who are sensitive to the Holy Spirit and they know the right time to be kind and they know the right time to be courageous, to speak out, to say no. I'll give you an example, the circumcision I'm talking about earlier. When your family gets together, say, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna circumcise your 13 year old. We're gonna send him out in the woods. One of the best words that you can learn, mothers, is it's a two-letter word. What is it? No. Not to my son. And we need, to, we need to learn when to be courageous. We need to learn to stand up. You know, a lot of people just tolerate uh, pastors who are courageous. They tolerate them. Like, oh, I like when he's preaching this, but really he's been too, too harsh here. And I guess it is possible to be harsh, but some people interpret courage for harshness. We need more Kenyan standing against the word of faith movement and the prosperity gospel. It is for you Kenyans to stand up in your culture and to make sure that biblical culture reigns over any of man's culture. But these shepherds, they're afraid. They're afraid. And there's two more points and then I'm going to end. Two more points. That we still worship and serve God when we are afraid. Notice that these shepherds, they're not rendered incapacitated with the fear that they have, but rather they received the word from the Lord delivered to them by the angel and they went into Bethlehem. You're only going to go two ways when fear grips your life. 
When depression grips your life, you're either going to go away from Christ or you're going to walk towards Christ. And these shepherds, they went into Bethlehem walking towards Christ, even though they were afraid. You guys, you men, have you ever been in a fight, a street fight? Any guy ever been in a street fight? Raise your hand if you've been in one, guys. I'm just curious. Two of us? I guess that's okay. I guess my life wasn't normal growing up. I had a brutal family. You get that adrenaline. There's, there's fear. You got in that street fight. You walk away. You're all, <laughs> you, you ever done that? Your, your, your hands are shaking? Oh, did you see me? I beat him down. You should see the other guy, you know? I imagine these are these shepherds, still adrenaline. Can you imagine us, uh, angel soldiers proclaiming with thunderous sound, glory to God? They're, they're walking towards Bethlehem. <sighs> they're afraid, fearful, stressed out, man. Adrenaline pumping through their bodies. <laughs> and yet they're walking towards Christ. And so many of you, you walked away from Christ when you got fearful, when you got worried, when you got stressed. Guys, we all get worried. Nobody is immune to fear, to stress. But the best thing that you can do when that comes upon your life is you walk towards Jesus Christ just like these shepherds. Because when you find yourself worshiping Jesus Christ, our Lord, your worry and your stress goes away. Your fears go away. But when you walk away from Christ into the world because you're mad and you have fear and depression, you find yourself, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And these shepherds, they said, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And there came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And they spread widely what was spoken to them concerning this child. That is our duty. That is our responsibility. That is our privilege to spread widely the thing that has been spoken to us concerning Jesus Christ. Don't you get people that is your number one duty on this earth in relation to humanity? You share Jesus Christ with them. Just like these shepherds. And it doesn't matter if they're educated or uneducated. These uneducated or formerly uneducated shepherds, they sprayed widely. What are they doing? They're in Bethlehem. It's like, guys, you should have. We just received the word from the Lord through his messengers. It was an army of soldiers. You should have been there. And, and I hope you guys know that Last night is much more than just music. That is wonderful that we have that celebration. But the word of God went forth and penetrated people's hearts and minds. That's what it's all about. Making Christ known. And we, 
together, not just me preaching, but we together as we sang the songs made Christ known. May you go out with a song in your heart like the shepherds to make Christ known all around you, as the word of God says here. Widely known. But in verse 19, Mary, she kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, all the things that they heard and seen. It was told to them. This last thing here, I'm already over time. In fact, the worship team wants you to come up. Let's sing this last song. But this last thing is another bad translation, the word kept. The word kept is a bad translation because we don't understand what it means to keep. When we think of keeping something, we think we keep it around us, um, though it could be not immensely significant. And really, the translation of the word kept kind of... Um, diminishes the significance of what Mary actually did. She did not just keep these words of the shepherd. The, the proper translation, also Tyndale got this right, is she treasured them in her heart. She treasured it. Why is Mary treasuring these things in her heart? Because the propensity the proneness to wander and to fluctuate with our faith, she needs to store up the words of God in her heart as she raises the Son of God. Guys, she took the message of Gabriel and she took it and she treasured it in her heart. God is with you, Mary. Can you imagine how many times she needed to refer back to Gabriel speaking to her, God is with you, Mary. Guys, listen, you know, you know when Mary was returning from the visit with Elizabeth that she needed to walk into Nazareth of Galilee and treasure that word of the angel in her heart, God is with you, when the people were looking at her pregnant belly and, 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 and contemplating killing her because she was pregnant out of wedlock. She kept that word in her heart, didn't she, ladies? She's like, oh, see, God is with me. God is with me. God is with me. He, the, the, the angel told me God is with me. And because of our proneness to wander, including Mary who needed her sins to be forgiven. In just a very short time, a couple months, she needs to treasure more of God's word in her heart because now she had to walk 80 miles. And she comes into a very small village. And guess what? There's no shelter for her and, 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 and Joseph and and she needs to deliver a baby where there was just an oxen? And she's sitting there and what's going on? Her faith is wavering. And then these shepherds show up and they say, hey, we were in the field and angels appeared. These soldier angels appeared and they gave us this word 
that this is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. He's going to save the, the world from their sins. He'll bless the whole world. And, and Mary hears the word of the Lord, and she treasures it in her heart once again. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to treasure the word of God in your heart. It needs to be kept. It needs to be kept like a pros- prescription. I have this prescription. It's my last pill. It's Augmentin. You guys know what Augmentin is, right? I hate this medicine with all of my heart, but I have to take it. It makes me feel weird. And then it makes food not taste so good after you swallow it. You know what I'm talking about? It's like a horse pill. Look how big that pill is. It's like I'm on chemotherapy or something. I need the word of God to take daily as medicine. As a pill, just, oh, treasure in my heart. And so you speak the word of God to yourself. That's what Mary is doing. That's what Mary is doing. That's what we need to do. So God's promises are true. We can rely upon his promises because Jesus Christ was born. We need to make Christ known just like the shepherds. We walk towards Christ like they did when we have fear and we need to treasure the word of God in our hearts. Let us bow our heads and pray together. Lord, thank you. We worship you, Lord. We thank you. There's no one like you. We thank you for this Christmas that you bless your people once again as we celebrate. Some of us are on break and we'll go home. Many of people have even traveled already from our church. Bless them. And Jesus Christ, we remember you born amongst men. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. As we worship you with our offering, I pray we bring what we have No matter how small, no matter how great, we give it to you from our hearts. And we love you. We ask for your blessing now. In Jesus' name, amen.